First this morning, Garthi investigating the murder of Ashling Murphy have renewed their appeal for information. It comes after a 40-year-old man was released from Garda custody and declared no longer to be a suspect in the case. The man had been arrested by Garthi within an hour of the discovery of the body of Ashling Murphy. He'd been questioned for seven hours on Wednesday evening before he rested overnight and for more than 20 hours yesterday. Last night he was released. Now for the latest, I'm joined firstly on the line by Garrod Keegan, who's Deputy editor of the Tullamore Tribune. Garrod, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. Good morning, Claire. What's the feeling there amongst the community this morning with this news that this man, the suspect in the case, is no longer a suspect and has been released? Yeah, I mean, there was shock and, and people were traumatised, first of all, on Wednesday when news broke that, um, unfortunately, Ashling Murphy had lost her life. And then last night that was, I'd say, compounded when people learned that the man was um, going to be released and um, the Guardian were very emphatic in saying that he was no longer a suspect and as his solicitor put it to me last night you know he has been fully ruled out and, and that um, point has to be made I think people obviously immediately were concerned that the perpetrator is still at large and people are wondering how far on are we now with the investigation mm. um, there was obviously a backlash on social media as unfortunately is often the case against the Guardian. Um but I mean the point has been made that the Gardaí do have a lot of evidence. Unfortunately, they had the wrong man as a source for to be last night in, in this case. Now, this man, uh, who is no longer a suspect, he's no longer considered to be of interest to the investigation. He, though, was brought to a safe house, was he, after his release? Yeah, he was brought to safe accommodation last night because um, there were concerns for his, his safety because there was so much speculation and there was so much... Um, commentary on social media. There were so many messages being uh, passed around on social messaging platforms, including images of this man, that um, there were genuine concerns for his safety. Not only was he brought to uh, brought to safe accommodation last night, but I know that there was a guard of presence maintained at his address and the address of his family um, because of concerns there that, that something might happen. So, I mean, it's it's all very raw in that sense. And uh, at the same time, people are conflicted because, you know, they might have concerns about him, but I mean, there's their thoughts are, and feelings are with the victim and the victim's family at the same time. And of course, now uh, in Tullamore, you have the situation where the killer is at large. This is exactly it. I mean, people are very concerned. I, I live, you know, literally 500 metres away from the main access point to the Canal Bank uh, that, that most people coming along from the town centre, go down along. And um, all my neighbours, everybody I know, goes up and down that canal um, every day or every other day. Uh, One of my sons was was there on Wednesday, half an hour before all this happened. And he he saw some of the people who who subsequently um, made reports to the Gardaí and he he made a report myself. He made a report himself. You know, so... Uh, the, the school that that Ashley went to is literally just maybe a hundred meters away from from that access point of the canal, and um, you have to stress that that this is how how close it is to home, and that's why it's so close to people's hearts here, and that's why people, everybody has been so touched. Mm-hmm. And today, then the investigation. I mean, can you? Is it visible? Can you see Gardaí on the streets in Tullamore? You know, we hear that they're going to be doing door to door. The minister uh, earlier on Midlands Radio Three saying that the investigation uh, would be very, very intense. All of the resources that they need will be pumped into it. Are you seeing evidence of that? 
Yeah, there, there, the, the, that was mentioned last night that the, there would be door-to-door inquiries. The, I suppose the interesting thing is that the, the Garda tape that was effectively cordoned off the, the normal entrance to this walkway along the Grand Canal has been removed, but the flowers um, are still there and there were candles lighting there last night. But um, yeah, there's the, the Garda presence still down near the crime scene. And um, I think people are hoping that there will be, um, that the Garda investigation will be stepped up and that not, they're hoping that not too much time has been lost um, by having the other, the, the now former suspect in custody. Um, the, the, the difficulty, I suppose, is that the witnesses, effectively, it looks like the, the wrong person, a person was identified and described, but the wrong person was, was detained then mm-hmm. after identification. But having said that, um, if those two witnesses had not been what they saw in the first place, we would be even further behind in this investigation. And the Gardaí are still interested and want to track down this bike, the mountain bike. Falcon Storm is the brand. Yeah, exactly. That's the bike. And there's a good um, um, picture of it as being released by the Gardaí. And um, I have to say, it's not the, 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 the Greenway, the Grand Canal Greenway, as it's officially called here along Fiona's Way, is um, officially designated cycling and walking route. But I'd say 90% of the users are not on bikes. Um, I would say uh, when it was, when it was um, tarmacked and there were life boys put down along it and signs with the people familiar with the signs of a walker and a, and a cyclist, uh, there were a lot of cyclists on it. Um, I think the, the number of cycling, cyclists using it in the last year or so has declined a little. So I think it might be unusual to see um, a person on a bike um, up there at the at Digby Bridge. Um, slightly more unusual than to see a walker or a runner. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I think that might jog someone's memory if they saw, saw a bike. And are you are you there at the Greenway now, Garrod? Is that where you are? Yeah, I'm, right, I'm, I'm there, yeah. I'm close to, to the main access point near are, the town centre are, are where there people m- have been leaving flowers and, uh, and lighting candles. Are many people walking there today? Or no, I, I have to say, I think it's quieter than usual. It is reasonably early in the morning, but um, in the last half an hour, I only saw one couple with a dog. I saw one man on his own on the northern bank of the canal where this this crime occurred. Mm-hmm. I saw one man on the far side and one, one man has just passed by me now. Now people listening might be actually conscious. I, I, I did not say I saw a woman on her own and I have not seen a woman on her own walking along here. And I know from my years myself of um, jogging, walking and cycling along here that it was not unusual to see women on their own either walking or, or jogging yeah. or walking along while talking on the mobile phone. Yeah, and, and, and nor should it be. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And that's I'd be concerned that there's so much fear there that that uh, women are afraid to go out on their own. But I, I know from my own family, I have a wife and, and two daughters, and um, my, both my daughters were actually traumatised um, in the in the last couple of days and yeah. really concerned. Even last night, I didn't get home last night until about one in the morning, and they were still up, as was one of my sons, uh, talking about this and asking me what, what you know what is going to happen. Why has this happened? You know, are we safe? Effectively? Understandable. Well, Garrod, thanks for bringing us up to date again today and uh, we may check in with you later in the programme as things develop. Garrod Keegan there from the Tullamore Tribune. I'm joined now by Dr Pat Leahy, the former Assistant Garda Commissioner for Dublin. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Claire. We'll, t- we'll talk about the investigation process in a moment, but at the heart of this is a grieving family. And what have your own thoughts been over the last couple of days since you first heard about Ashling Murphy? Well, look, like 
like everybody else in the country, Claire, just uh, shocked. And I want to offer my deepest uh, sympathies and support to Ashling's family and the wider community in Tullamore. I mean, it's a tragic loss uh, in such awful circumstances and it's a family's worst nightmare. And uh, it's something that frightens all of us, Claire. But having said that, we can't comprehend uh, what Ashling's family are going through right now. But I think the outward and countrywide showing of grief and solidarity may provide some comfort mm-hmm. to all those who knew her and uh, loved her. But the next commitment from all of us now in the community is to assist the Gardaí by providing information, however small or insignificant it may seem, okay, well, let, so let, they can pursue every line of inquiry. And let's talk about that, because people will be concerned that there was a period of time lost now because the focus of the investigation was on this man who we now know is no longer a suspect. Uh, I wouldn't suggest that that's the case at all, uh, Claire. I mean, look, investigations are not linear processes. They go in multiple directions, all of which must be explored and investigated to conclusion. This may have been a, a very prominent part of it, but look, the investigation so far, to me, shows all the hallmarks of a professional commitment to exploring all the evidence and pursuing the truth. And uh, the definitive statement by the guards last night shows that they're mindful of all the potential impacts on individuals and the community and shows a professional commitment to uncovering the truth and delivering the right outcome for everybody. And it's what we should expect from our police service, actually. So you're confident that even though this person was being questioned, that there were other lines of inquiry open simultaneously? Absolutely, Claire. I would have no doubt whatsoever uh, about that. Look, we'll have a trained and senior investigating officer who will be coordinating and guiding this investigation. And uh, you'll have qualified Level 3 and Level 4 investigative interviewers. They'll be managing and conducting the uh, interviews. Uh, you'll have round-the-clock investigative activities continuing. You, as, as mentioned previously, you'll have door-to-door inquiries now will be conducted. But you have forensic scientists working on this. You'll have telephone and CCTV analysts. You'll have scenes of crime experts. There'll be daily conferences taking place. Uh, they'll be pursuing multiple, line, multiple lines of inquiry. There'll be total commitment to this from the investigating uh, team. And I mean, look, they won't see their families now for some uh, considerable time, and their families, their own wives and husbands and children will know we won't be seeing Daddy and Amy for a while because they will be totally totally and utterly committed to pursuing this and delivering uh, justice for Ashling and her family in the community mm-hmm. of uh, Tullamore. And we know the Minister for Justice, Helen McIntyre, she was on Midlands 103 a short while ago and she said she'd spoken to the Garda Commissioner early this morning and she's making sure that the Garda have everything they need to do all of that work that you outlined there to find out who did this to Ashling, as she said, and that they're brought to justice. But from the public's perspective, and we always hear this, no matter how small you think your piece of evidence is or, or that something that you saw that was slightly unusual, you, you, you're, you're reminding people to bring that to the attention of Gardaí because it's often those small pieces of information that finish the jigsaw. Absolutely, Claire. And no matter how insignificant it may appear to you, it may be just what's required to connect two other strands of information that uh, make something very, very valuable. So really what the guards will be saying to the public today and the community is please come forward with anything you think may be uh, of, of value to the investigation or something that just doesn't sit right. Uh, there's no doubt about it, but there, there will be people that will notice uh, activities that may be a little bit out of the ordinary come forward talk to the guards, let them determine whether it's valuable or not at the end of the day, Claire. But it's something very, very small that may uh, this investigation may turn on. So it really is about the community coming forward now. And the support so far across the nation ha- has been just so, so uh, great for, 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 for everybody. Like There's a real uh, 
visceral response uh, to this. Mm-hmm. And now what we need is for everybody to come forward and say, look, OK, look, this didn't look right to me. I don't know if it means anything, but please, look, I just want to come forward and tell you about this. And just again, uh, that's on, what will unlock it. on the scale of this, Pat, it will be a, a huge investigation, but how will it be led? What form will it take? We mentioned door-to-door inquiries. Would you expect there to be checkpoints, for example? Yes, they may very well be, uh, Claire, depending on how long this goes on for now. Uh, but they will they will uh, do checkpoints. Uh, they'll try and interview people who will be there at uh, various times during the day that uh, frequent the area to see if they notice anything out of the ordinary or maybe they mightn't even seem out of the ordinary to them. But they will pursue every line, every person that moves through that area over a period uh, throughout any day or any day of the week. All of that will be explored. They'll throw the net very wide in relation to this uh, and to try and collect everything initially, and then they'll discount st- uh, evidence as they go through it that's of no value to them. But they will throw the net very wide in relation to this. So I would expect, yes, you'll see checkpoints. Yes, they'll interview people in around the canal on, on, a, on a, a daily basis, perhaps. They will do door to door inquiries. You know, they will check all the CCTV uh, in the town if it exists there. Uh, the forensic scientists will be at their beck and call, literally. Uh, they'll get all the support they need there. All the telephone and CCTV analysts will be available to them, the scenes of crime experts. Uh, they'll have everything that they need. I would have no doubt whatsoever uh, about that, and they'll mm-hmm. pursue it. But as I say, look, the investigations are not linear processes. There'll be multiple lines to be pursued here. And they'll have daily conferences, probably two a day at the moment, I would suggest. They'll discuss everything that has come in, every new line of inquiry that's open, and somebody will be tasked, a named individual will be tasked at pers- uh, to pursue that to the nth degree and come back with a final outcome in relation to it. So nothing will be left uh, untouched in relation to this. Dr Pat Leahy, thank you very much for joining us today. And I'm also joined by local Fianna Fáil councillor Tony McCormick. Good morning, Tony. Thanks for speaking to us Good again. Good morning, Claire. How are you? Uh, I, I'm Fine, but a very difficult day for you and for the whole community down there. Again, given that news last night that the the person who was in for questioning is now no longer a suspect in this case. What is your own assessment of the reaction to that news? Yeah, I suppose the reaction, people have woken up this morning now to that kind of news and I suppose it's, it's, the feelings were already heightened here in, in, in Tullamore. What's happened now is it's notched up another, uh, uh, another rung. Um, you know, I suppose everybody in Tullamore now, no matter who they are, um, male or female, will be second-guessing if they're going running or walking or exercising to make sure to, to, to choose a route that, that's safe and that they go with somebody else. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been shocking and, and, and um, I suppose fear is the one thing that I would say is, is kind of the feeling that is, is, is kind of in, 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 has taken over the whole area as a result of what's happened in, 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 the last, in the last 24 hours. You know, I suppose yesterday we had the um, the awful tragedy being announced that Ashton had um, been been killed by by somebody, but everybody had thought at that stage that the perpetrator was um, had, had had been apprehended and was away being questioned and what have you. But unfortunately, when that news came out yesterday, and and I suppose uh, when the news came out last night, late last night, uh, most people were in bed at that stage, uh, but and woke up to it this morning. But the the Gardaí have emphatically said that this man. Has um, has been ruled out of their their investigation, and I've, I suppose I've never seen a statement um, so strong on that. So and, and, and they've taken him away, as you said there earlier. They've taken him away to uh, a, a safe place for himself uh, uh, last night, and, and, and the house that he lived in was being protected by Gardaí. So you can imagine the, the feeling is 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 one of shock yesterday and sadness, and today it's it's replaced by obviously sadness and, and shock, but also fear as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the family then obviously going through this horrendous period of grief. You would have to hope, though, that they would take some small measure of comfort from the outpouring of grief uh, and support they've had right around the country and internationally, indeed. Yeah, you know, it's 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 unbelievable to see the reaction to this whole um, this 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 event that happened. Um, you know, the tragic event that happened, and and uh, yeah, you you would hope that the family would get some comfort from it. I'm sure at the moment there's not very much that will comfort them, but yeah. I suppose in the days coming and in the future, um, that, that that they will get some comfort from it. It's amazing to see right across the country vigils had held um, last night. Um, and uh, today there will be a vigil held, held in Tullamore in the town park, starting at four o'clock um, and um, uh, finishing at five. Uh, it will be a quite vigil where, where um, the um, um, local businesses, uh, a lot of local businesses have allowed their staff to get off early so that they can attend the event. Um, also, local businesses have donated, like for instance, local candle maker candle making company here Duffy and Scott have donated 500 candles and other businesses have donated stuff as well so that that, that the event can go ahead Alright so that's 4 o'clock uh, this afternoon coinciding with the many vigils that are happening in towns and cities around the country there's no question about changing that given the status of the investigation Tony that is going ahead that that is going ahead as of as of now. Yeah, no, as of now it's going ahead. I haven't heard anything to, 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 of the contrary, but I would say it will go ahead. Clear. Tony, thanks very much again for talking to us. That's Tony McCormick, there, a local councillor in Tullamore. Lisa Fallon is football analyst and Irish Times columnist, and she joins me on the line now. Good morning to you, Lisa. Good morning, Claire. I know the first thing you want to do is extend your sympathies to the family and friends and colleagues of Ashling. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I don't think there's a person in the country that wasn't struck by it this week. Um, and, you know, the, the sense of loss that both her family and the community must be experiencing now is is awful. Um, and I just hope that they know that everybody is with them. You've written a very striking and powerful piece in the Irish Times today. And this news brought back memories to you of your own story. You were attacked when you walked home from a night out back in 1995. Can you tell us a bit about that, Lisa? Yeah, it was, um, again, just walking home on an, from a night out. I think if people have read it, they'll, they'll know what happened. I was, I was taken um, by a man that I didn't know um, and he held me by my hair in the car. Um, I did get away and I, I thought I could outrun him, but he caught me. Um, and then he told me that he would kill me because I'd seen his face. Um, I begged him to let me go. Um, and it was, I remember just trying to talk to him and tell him, you know, trying to make me just let him know that I was a person and to that if he could just let me go, um, that I wouldn't tell anybody and it would be grand. And um, and eventually then he just said he'd stop the car and uh, he, he eventually just stopped the car and then he, he just said, look, get out and walk forward. So I had no idea what I was walking forward into, but um, it just turned out to be a road, um, a little bullring, and uh, he drove off. Um, and then I could hear a car coming again and... I was terrified he had changed his mind and he was coming back for me. So I I was beside a field and I got into the field and I just ran, 
right into it there was thistles and really tall thistles but I just felt if I ran straight through them he wouldn't come after me so I don't know how long I was in there um, and then eventually obviously um, I found my way to safety um, and but look, it, it brought back memories for sure. But I was very struck by the amount of other women who had similar stories mm-hmm. um, or even stories just of, you know, going for a walk or going for a run and having your keys or in your hands sticking out through your fingers or... Crossing um, the road. Crossing the road, making phone, fake phone calls to people, putting your phone on silent and making fake phone calls to people and... It just, you know, the amount of people that have stories like that and it just struck me that there's something fundamentally wrong with our society if our a free society in 2022, if a woman in Ireland cannot go for a walk or cannot go for a run without being afraid, then there's something fundamentally wrong with our society and we need to have a conversation and we need to have a look in the mirror and we need to fix it. And everybody has a responsibility to do that. Everybody collectively can make a difference. We shouldn't be normalising. And I'm guilty of it too. I've said it to my daughter, oh, look, be careful. And look, you know, know, don't do this just in case or don't go on your own. But we we reinforce that, um, that way of living because of behaviours and thought processes and I really think that we have to change that and we have to stop and take stock of where we are as a nation and how we look at things Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we have to do that. But had you not given your daughter the awareness of these sorts of issues and things that might happen to her, she might have reacted differently to a situation that happened to her on the bus which you've written about as well in the column only last week. You know, as long as the behaviour continues, our responses have to be, we have to be amped up in order to deal with, with what's happening. We do, but I still think we're, we're, we're treating the symptom, we're not treating yeah. the cause. And we have to go to the root of this. We have to educate. We have to get people to look in the mirror. And it's the hardest thing to do. We have to look in the mirror before we look out the window. We have to go, every person in this country has to look at themselves and go, have I said things? Do I think things? We have to challenge the biases. We have to challenge the mindsets. We have to challenge the behaviours. And if you're a person that doesn't engage in it, do you sit silently when you witness it? Do you allow it? Do you permit it? Do you, you know, could you be stronger? Could you be a voice? Could you... Um, help to change a culture because we'll never change the culture unless everybody steps up to the plate and takes a little bit of responsibility. But like I say, that that has to start with everybody looking in the mirror because we have a grieving family in Tullamore today and it's one too, it's one more than we should have. And there's countless stories um, and we have to, as a society, take responsibility um, and and just be more aware and, and raise that awareness and challenge our thought processes um, yeah, and, and, and make changes. And you, you talk about daily acts of intimidation and you describe them as microaggressions. Can you just explain to me what you mean, Lisa, by that? So uh, 
that was a study. I'm, I'm part of um, a commission where we look at um, different things in terms of equality and stuff like that. And just this one, this report was published on the 10th of January this year. And it actually looks at microaggressions that filter. So, you know, with better conditions and better rights for women and, and more opportunities, Sometimes women are still silent, like isolated as the only woman and, and that. And it was a really interesting report where it talked about, you know, that sexism and misogyny are often less covert now than they were before. And they're more overt. So there's little slights, little comments and it festers and becomes a culture. And from that culture, then the, the more the more. Uh, I suppose the, more, the escalated stuff grows. I think people can, will be surprised to hear that sexism is more overt now. It, it is and it isn't. But in certain environments, like, I mean, you, you know, you, you get you get people on, on the top layer, on the high level going, oh, yes, look, we're doing the right thing. We're, we're you know... We're doing the right things to try and get women into positions, to try and develop women and to give opportunities. But then the reality for those women on the ground and in the roles is not necessarily, you know, you get that you might get the role. And I've heard so many stories from so many women who've contacted me um, and even men who've said, oh, God, you know, I, I've, I've sat there and said stuff and, and or listened to stuff being said and I should have said something. You know, I feel bad that I should have said it. And look, it's not about looking back retrospectively. It's about what can we do going forward and how can we change it? But mm-hmm. little comments, little nuances, you know, is does the woman in the group get treated differently? And is the reason that she gets treated differently just because she's a woman? And you, that's the question people have to ask. You use the example of the female coach who you know, which is great that we have female coaches uh, happening. And traditionally, that would have been a male role. But that woman, she says, is being harassed, bullied and undermined all the time. Yeah. And, and so statistically, she is a female coach working in the game, you know, at the grassroots level. But her experience is different to what the number says. Yeah. And that's the piece. We have to look at what what does it actually mean on the ground and in, in our day-to-day lives because that's how we affect change. Lisa, thank you so much for talking to us today. Really appreciate it. And if you've been affected by anything we've talked about over the last half an hour or so, you can find out more information and contact numbers at rte.ie forward slash helplines. And returning, thank you very much, Susan, returning to the Ashley Murphy case and uh, Stephen Breen, crime editor with the Irish Sun, joins me now. Good morning, Stephen. Good morning, Claire. I just want to talk to you a little bit more about what's happened up to now. And as we've been hearing, that man who was arrested soon after the discovery of Ashling's body was released last night. The Gardaí confirming without any shadow of doubt that that person is not a suspect anymore. Will you explain to us what you know about why he was cleared, what the basis of, of that decision was was uh, was set on? Yeah, well, Claire, late last night, the Garda Press Office issued a statement um, relating to the latest development concerning the investigation into Ashling's murder. And in that email, the, the press statement, they did confirm that the individual who had been arrested by Garda on Wednesday, just an hour after um, Ashling was found, um, was no longer being treated as a suspect. He had been eliminated from their inquiries and uh, had been released from guard of custody. So as a result of that, obviously the investigation was ongoing and 
I spoke to the Garda Press Office today, and what they were keen to point out was that the evidence gathered, um, which uh, in the early stages of the investigation has ultimately proven the innocence of the, the individual who was first arrested over this terrible case, and that, in, that evidence can hopefully now be used to identify the real perpetrator. Yeah. So. It really is ongoing at the moment. Okay, it's interesting that you should say that because we know that there are fears, particularly locally, that attention may have been focused on this individual when it comes to the investigation. Now, Dr. Pat Leahy, former Assistant Guard, the Commissioner, has refuted that very strongly on the programme earlier. And that's what you're saying as well. That's what you're hearing, that that is not the case, that all attention was focused on this one line of inquiry. Well, there are many lines of inquiry the Guardi are investigating and they will um, examine all lines of inquiry as the investigation progresses. But when I spoke to the press office earlier today, you know, they were adamant that the evidence had been gathered already and that was within the 24-hour period when this individual was arrested. That evidence which they analysed and which they examined has ultimately led to this individual no longer being declared a suspect and being freed. But equally... They were also pointing out that that evidence, including DNA evidence and forensic evidence and other evidence which they have yet to disclose as yet because the investigation is ongoing, would hopefully help them identify the real perpetrator of this crime. So that's where their focus is at the moment. I think when they examined all the evidence, it proved he was innocent. And that bike that they've been looking for, that's a significant item of interest, Stephen. Yeah, the bike is very important to the guard investigation, and it's not just about the bike's movements in the um, at the time when Ashley was attacked. It's also in the days before that. You know, was this bike seen in Tullamore? It's very just the distinctive bike as well, and um, with the green uh, bars at the front, with the waving sign. So the guards are trying to find out, you know, who owned this bike. You know, where was it bought? Was it sold to someone else? So they are very keen for anyone, even if it was last week or two weeks ago. No matter what the time scale is, they're just trying to establish the movements of this bike. Stephen, thank you very much for bringing us up to date. Stephen Breen, Crime Editor with The Irish Sun. I'm also joined now by Nolene Blackwell, CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Nolene, thank you very much for speaking to us this morning. And we've heard a lot of concerns since that news broke overnight that there's a real sense of fear in Tullamore today. There's still, of course, a deep sense of shock there and across the country about the murder of Ashling. But what are your own thoughts this morning as the Gardaí continue their investigations and their search? Yeah. So Claire, first of all, I do want to join with everybody who, uh, uh, on my own behalf, on behalf of everybody in Dublin Rape Crisis Centre, um, to to express my condolences to the bereaved family of Ashling Murphy, and uh, to her colleagues, to her friends, to her pupils, um, and also uh, my thoughts are with Fiona Pender's uh, family this morning. Um, Fiona, who's now whose disappearance 25 years ago remains a mystery mm-hmm. to her family, and so in some ways my thoughts are that. Women today are fearful. They are fearful about a known murderer, but they're also reminded to be fearful in general because uh, because women as, as a gender are more vulnerable to violence at the hands of men um, than, than the other way around. Uh, there is, that actually happens to be a fact. We absolutely accept everybody knows that women can commit violence. Everybody knows that men can be victims of violence. But women as a group, as a gender, are more at risk, more vulnerable to violence at the hands of men. And, and while Ashling's death is at the far end, it is a, thankfully a rare enough event. Uh, nonetheless, it is... Uh, 
that that violence can happen at a whole heap of levels and women are remembering uh, as a result of this that you, that, that is the case. And we've been hearing uh, women remembering since this news broke. But, you know, we say, and can you believe this happened in broad daylight? Yeah. As if to suggest that if it were darker, we might be able to explain or understand it. Exactly. And doesn't that go to the point as well where an awful lot of the time we hear this again and again in Dublin Rape Crisis Centre where people say, maybe if I had gone earlier, maybe if I had, um, if I hadn't taken a drink, maybe if something or other, or maybe if I didn't go out after dark, this wouldn't happen. That, so all of that is where even women train themselves to question their own behaviour, to question their own freedom of movement, because that's the way we're brought up, that in some ways there is an acceptable level at which, you know, somebody might, might be um, available to be assaulted if they do things. I mean, going back only four or five years ago, right across Europe, there was a survey done, including a survey in Ireland, where um, people were asked, were there, were there reasons why it might be acceptable to have um, non-consensual sexual activity with a woman? And, uh, and the sample was a decent-sized sample, over a 1,000 people in Ireland. And of that, 7% thought that it would be okay. Well, there were, there were say, 13 or 14% thought it would be okay if, uh, if a person uh, was drunk. Uh, 10% thought if someone went home to somebody else's house, it was okay to have sex with them. But 7% of those surveyed thought it was, it was a justification for non-consensual sexual activity if someone was walking alone at night. So, in some ways, women have themselves internalize this and we do ask ourselves the questions as well but but it is also a societal attitude that women really do need to be more careful and not to bring on violence on themselves so that that is I think really being questioned in the wake of Ashley Murphy's death and if there is anything good to be said about it and there's very little good to be said about it it is if we can continue that conversation and just have a recognition that whether, you know, whether it is all men, whether it is some men, all of us as a society must have contributed in some way to a situation where, for instance, we say if someone is harassing somebody else at work, making lewd comments about them and uh, commenting on, yeah, commenting on, yes, say lewd comments, that we just say stay away from that person instead of saying that person is going to have to go because this company will not have an attitude where that is happening. We did some research last year, or we did some research and we had a seminar last year on sexual harassment in the workplace. And that's what we found was that people generally didn't complain about it because you would only be seen as the troublemaker. And actually, employment lawyers were able to say to us, anecdotally, that what happened was if a person didn't leave themselves who was being harassed, they would be eased out if they complained because they were seen as troublemakers. We also did a very thorough research last year on the question of consent. And this goes to the next point, which is that the way we talk, the way we don't talk about uh, sexual assault in our society, the way we don't talk about uh, uh, the gender, the gender issues that arise, and we found that uh, people in general in Ireland are embarrassed to talk about 
sex to talk about issues around gender, uh, around sexual activity, for instance, and that the most embarrassed are young men. So that is the the reality of our lives, that mm-hmm. we don't we don't have that discussion, that we have not, in spite of the fact that it was last uh, changed in 1999, we have not changed our curriculum in our secondary schools uh, to uh, include mandatory, thoughtful courses around respect for the other genders, which means our young people are growing up with their main knowledge coming either from their homes or uh, more likely from their peers and from pornography, where yeah. women are, where the worst stereotypes of women as objects are to be found. No, so, yeah. So it's no, it's no wonder okay. we are, we have, we have to deal with this. Nolan, we leave it there. But I'm, I'm, no, I'm very grateful to you for your your time and for your considered uh, comments, Nolan Blackwell, CEO of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. And just as we leave that story for now, again, I want to reiterate our deepest sympathies here on this program and everybody here at RT Radio One. I know would want to pass on our our deepest condolences to the Murphy family, friends, and her school community. And if you've been affected by anything we've talked about, you can find more information and contact numbers at rte.ie forward slash helplines.